Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. begin to change, the weather starts to cool, I'm still waiting for it to happen and stay. But I love this time that we can gather together with family and friends because it seems to me, whether you're in the church or you're not, it's this time of year in our culture that we seem more hopeful, that we seem more open, that we seem more willing to believe, that we see the best in each other. But just like the weather, it always passes. I think about this time of year in our culture, and it's kind of like a Hallmark movie. It's sentimental, but it's not realistic. It's not sustainable. We all dream of peace on earth, but the truth is we've been born into a world at war, and right now, whether we realize it or not, we are being opposed. And there's four ways for all of us that's true this morning. The first way that you and I are being opposed is we are being opposed by an accuser who came to disqualify us. Revelation 12.10, it says, The accuser of our brothers accuses us before our God day and night. In the Bible, that name Satan or devil, it shows up a bunch of times, and it means an adversary or an accuser. It's a voice of shame and blame that says, If only they knew. A voice that that longs to replay this mental loop of your worst moments, your greatest insecurities, and makes you want to believe that that's the real you. And that all that shame that you're hearing, it's actually God that's saying that and feeling that. And the point of this scheme is so you would silently come to accuse yourself, lose your confidence, and live as if you were already disqualified. We're being opposed. A second way we're being opposed is we're being opposed by a liar who came to detour us. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, when he, the devil, lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Whether you know it or not right now, there's an enemy that is constantly coming to speak, and what he wants to do is he wants to lie to you. He wants to lie to you about you. He wants to tell you that who you are more than anything else is a sinner, even though 66 times in the New Testament you're called a saint, a most holy place, a resting place for God. He wants to lie to you and tell you you're a failure or that you're a faker. He wants to lie to you about God. He wants to tell you that God would leave you or forsake you, that God will fail or God won't come through. And I want to remind us this morning that all fear is is faith in the wrong kingdom. Fear is simply faith that God will fail. So the enemy wants to come and lie to us about God, but he doesn't stop there. He wants to lie to us about others. He wants to tell us that they are our enemy, they are our competition, or just that, that they are other. That there's us, the people that are like me and think like me, and I should give compassion and patience and grace to and walk with, and then there are those other people, them, that I can judge, look down on, or dismiss. He wants to lie to us so he can drive our days, not by the promises of God, but by fear and pride and drama and jealousy, and in this way, take us far off the path. Third this morning, though, we want peace on earth, but we're being opposed by an opportunist who came to discredit us. 
Words of 1 Peter, it says this, Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We have an enemy right now that what he wants more than anything, what he looks for 24-7, is opportunity. He looks for opportunity where we're vulnerable, where we're strained right now, or where we're struggling. He looks for opportunity where we're maturing, where God is doing a good work in us, but it's messy and we're unsteady. He even looks for opportunities and especially looks for opportunities where we're tired doing good things. And he waits so that he can wear us down, that we would drop our guard. And what he wants more than anything is to attack our reputation and to attack our relationships. I think about how many lives and how many close friendships I've watched ruined in a single moment that was nothing more than a setup and a scheme by an enemy who is an opportunist. The fourth is this, though. We are being opposed by a thief who came to destroy us. John 10.10 says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And the enemy that stands against us, he's an extremist. He has two ditches that he would love to wreck our lives in. The name of one ditch is sin, but the name of the other ditch is religion. See, he doesn't really care if you sell yourself out in a ditch called dirty or if you die trying to save yourself in a ditch called clean. He doesn't care if you die as a slave to poison or the pursuit of perfection. We are being opposed. And in all the places this morning we're being opposed, there are two great targets that the enemy shows up after. He shows up after our identity, and he shows up after intimacy. And if you think about these two categories, our identity, whenever we talk about that, that's who you are. Your identity isn't about anything you could ever do. It's your place of being. What's at stake with your identity? It's you walking in confidence. You looking in the mirror and not condemning yourself, but knowing the way heaven sees you today. When we talk about identity, I'm talking about me. When we talk about intimacy, intimacy, we're talking about who you're willing to let in. Intimacy is not about being, but it's about your place of belonging, where you fit and where you matter on planet Earth. And if, if identity is about living and walking in confidence, then intimacy is walking with confidence. It's talking about us, it's talking about we. And you need to understand this morning that as much as we want peace on earth right now, the entire planet has two schemes that are coming from an enemy to come after our identity and our intimacy. Maybe that could tell us why at times it feels like the whole world is on fire. See, there's a strategy of this enemy. And I would say the strategy is to move us from distraction to destruction. And I'll tell you what I mean. That first one, distraction. He wants more than anything to come in and attack our focus. He would love to give us a million lesser things. And did you know that you can be distracted doing so many great things for God that you actually miss being with him? And that it's actually really easy to do. In fact, I need to say that for somebody else in the room again today. It is very possible to be distracted doing great and holy things for God and to miss walking with him. He starts with distraction, attacks our focus, moves our eyes. He goes from that to discouragement, to attack our emotions, to get us to trust our feelings so that hope deferred would make our heart sick and that we'd give up, that we'd give up on our dream, that we'd give up on whatever the family or community we're supposed to be a part of, and that in some way that we'd give up on our faith. Our enemy goes from there to move the attack to disunity. He attacks our relationships. He moves us from accusing ourselves to accusing others. It's the place where he gets us caught in blame and resentment and gossip and taking sides. And I want you to know that this attack of disunity, it's not just about trying to get you in disunity with others. It's actually an attack that comes against you. I've been shocked to find that the more that I've stepped out to love and to lead in the kingdom of God, the more I've found my motives attacked by people that I only desired to bless. Our enemy continues. 
He has an attack of downfall where he wants to attack our judgment. And we're reminded in the Proverbs that pride comes before a fall. That's why I would say, if you want to know what the greatest fruit is in the kingdom of God, you want God to use you, I see three things that you need in your life. Passion, humility, teachability. I want to remind us this morning that your current viewpoint on anything is just your point, I'm sorry, your view from your current point of education and experience. Your viewpoint right now is just your view from your current point of education and experience. And our Father always wants to invite us to see from a higher place, but that means that we have to be more impressed with his report than we are our own. Finally, in this attack, the enemy ends in the place of destruction, where he comes to attack our very assignment, to get us to quit, to get us to throw in the towel, and to miss out on our intended legacy. And maybe right now you're hearing this and you're thinking, this might be the worst Christmas message I've ever heard in my life. Because like three minutes ago we were singing Feliz Navidad, and now we've taken a left turn into destruction. (laughs) Somebody this morning might be like, listen, give me a Hallmark movie, because at least it's good news. Because everything I'm hearing you say in your first few minutes right now, it sounds like bad news. But you see, I needed to start with some bad news this morning because I've actually come this morning to deliver the news to bad news. And that's that bad news' contract expired 2,000 years ago. You see, there is a thief. You are being opposed. But, 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Somebody let it sink in. So what's the point of Christmas? Yes, there is a thief. Yes, we're being opposed. Yes, there's bad news. But the reason the Son of God appeared, the reason he came as the incarnation, was to destroy the bad news and the works of the devil. I want to come and remind us this morning that bad news was evicted 2,000 years ago in a stable by a baby. Bad news was evicted in a stable by a baby who was born with nothing, so we'd have everything. The story, it looked like bad news. A poor, misunderstood Middle Eastern woman and her husband who had no place for the birth of their son. And yet, that's the scene in which he appeared. He appeared when there was no room left in the inn. Why? So there would be no room left in you for any other occupant than him. It looked like bad news. The promised king's welcoming party wasn't royalty. It was lowly and dirty shepherds, unqualified and unimpressive. But that's the scene that he appeared in. Why? So that in every place right now you feel dirty, unqualified, unremarkable, and unseen, you'd understand that our king is first making a beeline to you in that place. It seemed like bad news. A cold infant crying out in the night. By the way, the song that says, you know, a child, a child, shivers in the cold, let us bring him silver and gold, or a blanket, I don't know. Um, Perhaps, don't think he's going to the stock market tonight. I want us to understand why it looks like bad news. The cold infant who had a cry piercing into the night was actually a miracle that would change the trajectory of our cries of despair and loneliness. Listen, Jesus came and cried so he can give you a kingdom where he'd wipe every tear away from your eyes. It seemed like bad news, but I want to remind us this morning that my Bible doesn't start at Genesis chapter 3 with bad news. It starts two chapters before that in Genesis chapter 1. And before bad news ever entered the scene, my Bible tells me that our God breathed and that everything he made was good. And from that moment of Genesis 3, bad news reigned, but then on a humble night in a field in Bethlehem, heaven breathed again. And for the first time in a long time, a familiar word painted across the horizon, and the word was good. There are two words that are at the center of the Christmas stories and the songs that we sing that I want to take new meaning to you today that would actually empower you to elevate above your feelings and above your present circumstances. Goodwill and good news. 
We've heard this passage before in Luke chapter 2. And it says this. It says, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Why did Jesus come? It says this. He came so that the glory of heaven would be released. And that we would see it from the highest place down on the earth. Did you know, right now, if you could see from heaven's perspectives, your problems would dissipate. All right, somebody didn't get that one. Let me say it again. You say, I got financial problems. I got marriage problems. I got relationship problems. I've got reputation problems. I've got problems I didn't get this job. I've got problems that I haven't met the love of my life. I've got problems that I'm stressed. I've got problems that the doctor gave this report. And I'm telling you right now, if you could see from the highest, if you could see the glory in the highest from heaven's perspective, your current problems would dissipate. Why did he come? So that the glory of God that is taking place in the highest would be seen on earth. But further than that, listen to what he said. Why did he come? So that on earth we would know peace. The peace that we left in the garden. The peace that for generations the enemy has been ravaging. He said Jesus appeared to announce a collision course with another garden where there would be the reestablishment of peace. And as somebody who loves the languages, that word peace in the New Testament, it means the ability to rest because you realize that now and forever you are exempt from war. Peace means that you can rest because you're exempt from war. You say, I got this problem, this problem, this problem, this problem. Yes, but if you actually understand that he came to give you peace, you'd be able to rest today because you'd realize that you're exempt now and forever from war. He's not who we think. But he went further than that. Listen, it's not just that. He said, I came that you would have goodwill. Did you know that goodwill is not just a thrift store that people at Southeastern University love to shop at? Hi, Isabel. We hear this. We sing this. He came to give us goodwill, goodwill, goodwill. I'm going to tell you, I want you to get this definition and log it away because if you knew what you were singing, you'd look a lot happier when you sang it. The word goodwill, it means this. Favor from God's heart that satisfies and delights yours. Let me say it again so it sinks in. God came to give you goodwill. What is that? That's favor from his heart. That's him giving you gift after gift after gift that you haven't earned and you can't deserve. And what is the end result of this gift? That he keeps giving it. That no matter how much of a pessimist you are, that he keeps giving it until it satisfies and delights your heart that it changes your face, and that it changes your steps. Why did he come? He came to announce that the Father is not angry. The Father adores you because he was already on the cross before the foundation of the world. But in the fullness of time, he appeared to say what? That right now, beloved one, the Father delights in you. And he won't stop pursuing you until you're delighted. Luke chapter 2 this promise comes again, this second word. He says, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Our word gospel, it means good news. What did he come for? He came for gospel. He came for good news. What's the good news? The good news is that we're going to have great joy. Now listen, I know how we are in America with our adjectives. It doesn't mean like that joy. It's great. It's just great joy. I like it. It's a great kind of joy. I just like that joy. It just feels great. That's not what the word great means. When he said I came to give you great joy, it means this, of a measure that is far surpassing beyond your vessel, so you can't contain it. I came to give you so much joy that apart from your personality, that's why I brought John up a few minutes ago here to say, when you see John exuberant in the kingdom of God, that's not just personality. That's a vessel that has experienced more of the joy and freedom and grace and peace and forgiveness and love of God that he can't hold it for himself anymore. And it's going to come out in a shout, and it's going to come out in hands up in the air, and it's going to come out in him blessing and declaring it over you too. Because why? God came to give good news. What? That great joy is your inheritance. Our Father delights over us, and he won't stop until we're delighted. And I just want to remind us, church, I hear all kinds of things. What's the battle of the church today? Is the battle of church what we're going to say about women in ministry? Don't get me started on that soapbox. Is the battle of the church going to be something about some belief system or where we stand on some social justice issue? I'm going to say I think the biggest battle of the church is will we abide with the person who's named Joy? Because the reason our churches aren't expanding is not because of the brand of music that we have. 
It might just be, and Pastor Lynn has said this many times, the reason people aren't in church is because they've been there before. Maybe for us as the church, as we encounter great joy, and they would look and say, those Christians, they believe some crazy things, but they're the happiest people I've ever seen, and nothing can shake them. So I think I'm going to draw a little bit closer to a little bit of crazy. That's the way the early church changed the world. What did he come for? Good news. What is it? That you'll have great joy above your measure. Who is it for? Oh, I love this one. You ready? It's for all people. What is the message of the Christmas story? It's that no one is uninvited. That male or female, young or old, black or white, rich or poor, religious or irreligious, conservative or liberal, no matter how bad you've blown it, the message of Christmas is that the Son of God appeared that we would live at peace with God and with man. I want you to hear these words from Colossians chapter 2. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them and him. What's the miracle of Christmas? It's this. That every place you've been accused, every lie you've believed, every error you've committed, every trauma you've suffered, every wound you've inflicted, every detour you've taken, and every dream you've burned to the ground is undone, and its legal rights are revoked at the feet of Jesus. And today... Peace, delight from the Father can be fully yours, and you can live there to such a point that you're filled with such joy that it pours out everywhere you go. So somebody this Christmas season should rejoice. Yes, there's bad news everywhere. But the message of Christmas is that bad news doesn't get the headline. That our God came to recreate everything again, as good. So I want to give you a new headline this Christmas. I want you to say it with me. Say, if it's not yet good, it's not yet over. I want you to say it again. If it's not yet good, it's not yet over. Somebody needs to know that in your relationship with God today. If there's some place you feel shame, you feel guilt, you fell into that thing again, it's just not good. Somebody needs to know that with your soul today. That there are places that you get so happy and so excited, but you just fell back, you feel depressed. It's not yet good. Somebody needs to know that in a relationship today. That you put yourself out there again and again and again and again, and you've loved people and you've pursued people and you keep not being seen. If it's not yet good, the message of Christmas is that Jesus appeared to tell you it's not yet over. And today what he came to give you is a miracle called peace on earth. And I want to talk briefly about two ways we're going to apply this. And before we're done today... We're going to activate it and move it from our, our head to our heart to our feet. First is this. Jesus came to restore our identity in him. Jesus came to restore our identity in him. I've heard some people before say, and I've probably been guilty of it as well, you know, we just need a new revelation from God. We need a new word from God. We just need another word from God. And praise God, he's always speaking. He always gives fresh words and revelation. His word is living and active. But can I submit to you that I don't think we need another revelation from God as much as we need to go ahead and just believe the revelation he's already given. Right? I think we need to be at the place where we are more impressed by his report than we are on our own because pride comes before a fall. So allow me to take you down memory lane to a few familiar promises of the Bible that say everything about who you are in him today if you'd simply receive it. Jeremiah 29, 11, the favorite uh, passage for years and years and years of every youth pastor in America. I know the plans I have for you, says Lord your God. You know what's amazing about that? Some of you right now are saying, I don't know the plans I have for my life. I don't know where my life's headed. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going to come next, and that's why I can't sleep at night. That's why I'm stressed out. That's why I'm worried. Somebody needs to breathe deeply today and go, oh, you know the plans you have for me. So it doesn't really matter yet if I'm still catching up. You're a, a lamp on my feet, a light on my path. By the way, that promise we quote, it means that you can see the next two steps on the path in front of you. That's what that light's talking about. Some of you are mad at God because you want a floodlight that's going to show you the next 39 years of your life. 
and he won't give it, and so you're sitting and you're whining, and you need to get up and recognize that you don't know the plans you have for your life, but he knows the plans he has for you, and they're plans to prosper you and never to harm you. Jeremiah chapter 1, he gave another promise. He said this. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Maybe right now you're like, I ain't doing a good job really knowing myself right now. But he knows you. And what does he say? I set you apart. Psalm 139, he says this. He says, before you woke up this morning, that God had already thought more precious thoughts about you than every grain of sand on every seashore that has ever existed. Let that sink in for a minute. I don't know about you. I could go outside and just grab some dirt and just a handful of those grains to know that God's thinking that about me that's precious. That would be enough to last me the rest of my life. But he said, before you woke up this morning, before you did a single thing, by the way, that's what he's saying, while you were sleeping, while you were resting, apart from your works, simply because he loves you and he adores you, not based on your works. He thought more precious thoughts about you than, than every grain of sand on every seashore that has ever existed. I hope it changes the way you go to all the beaches in Florida, that every time your foot moves, you're like, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, one of my favorite verses, it says this. It says that presently, whether you feel like it or not, you might feel like a hot mess, but you are actually walking as God's masterpiece, his workmanship, and his poem. And he says in Ephesians 2.10, I created you in myself. Jesus says, you're made of me. Somebody needs to stop condemning what you see in the mirror because you've been made of him. He says that you are specific poetry and what your life releases is a dance between you and I. So this is the question I want to ask you this morning. Do you live there? Because that's what's on the table. It's not a visitation, it's an incarnation. Listen, the reason the manger is empty and the tomb is empty is because the fullness of God has come to live in the vessel called you. Somebody needs to receive that. Do you live like it's true? If not, what is it that's being stolen right now that's keeping you from living in that place that the delight of God is actually moving you to delight? What work of the enemy is it time for it to lose its functional legal right in your life? Because as we talk right now, for anybody hearing my voice, here's the truth. I don't know the circumstances of your birth. I don't know if you were expected or wanted or not. I don't know the circumstances of your childhood. I don't know the traumas or the fears or the brokenness. I don't know what bullies said to you when you were young, and I don't know in your story who failed, who bailed, and who railed against you. I don't know the war wounds that you've suffered. I don't know your pain or the particular brand of insecurity or loss you face, but I know this. The miracle of Christmas is that Jesus Christ appeared to destroy every barrier, every accusation, every lie, every misstep, every trauma, and he's standing right now at every broken place in your life with his arms wide open with a gift called peace that would fill you with delight and great joy, and it's for you that you would know who you truly are. And that you would know that that's not your job or your bank account or even the calling of things you do. You need to know the most foundational thing that can be said about you, the most foundational thing that can be written across your life is you are his beloved kid. If there was a tattoo across your heart to name your identity, it wouldn't even name your name. It would say, beloved. That he sees you. That right now he knows you, no matter what it was you did yesterday or the day before or on your way to church. That he chooses you. And then right now in the midst of all I don't know, I know that we stand on the precipice of a tangible miracle. That you can step out of the shadows because he stepped out of the tomb. And you can no longer strive to be the protector of your reputation, but you can be the recipient of your identity. And no matter what comes, good days and bad days, you will live with your head held high as a beloved. Beloved, you can let yourself be loved. Jesus came to restore our identity in him. And I want to tell you, and I know it might not be popular, but this whole idea of the church going with the seasons around us, oh, it was a good day, it was a bad day, it was a good day, it was a bad day. We've been given a kingdom that can't be shaken. 
Our problem is not a resource problem. Our problem is not a COVID problem. Our problem is not a government problem. Our problem is a vision problem. We don't see what heaven sees. Because if you could see the glory from God in the highest over you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, all of your problems would dissipate. He came to give you a tangible, sustained identity that would lift you above your circumstances, and that's on the table today. So before we're done, somebody's going to receive a touch and an anointing that God's going to change something for you. The second is this. Jesus came to restore your intimacy on earth. Jesus came to restore your intimacy on earth. We have an enemy that wants more than anything else. Listen, if he can block you from the first blessing of knowing your identity, if he can disqualify you, if he, he can distract you, he'll spend all of his days trying to bury you in shame and blame and feel disqualified. But if he loses out on that one, and I'm looking at a room full of people that he's lost out on that one, he's got a second attack. His second attack is that he wants you to live alone and misunderstood as if you're a misfit or an inconvenience. He wants the relationships of your life to be defined by drama and distrust and for you to live as though you are deserted so that you will give up and just get by. But my Bible says that the Father sets the lonely in families, that we were created to be loved, yes, by God and others. That's why the second greatest commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. And as I'm talking right now, somebody hearing my voice, you feel like you've drawn the short straw when it comes to relationships. Because you're always seeing other people. You're always thinking about other people. You're always checking on other people. You're always pursuing other people. And the truth is, you've never said it out loud, but you feel invisible. You feel dispensable. You don't feel like you're really the center of anybody else's world and you wonder where it is in this world you actually belong. Maybe in your story your parents checked out at some point or maybe they were too busy to see you. Maybe you had a group of peers but you were always the one in that group that was overlooked or the butt of the jokes or you felt like an outcast. Or maybe you had a great relationship of somebody you love more than anything and due to death or to drama it all fell apart in your hands. And today you just feel alone. And to those who are struggling this Christmas with heartbreak, I'm so sorry, and I don't understand all the whys. But I know this. I know that it's not good for man to be alone. So if it's not yet good in your relationships, it's not yet over. Today I know that our God wants to heal and give peace. In just a minute, I'm going to invite a prayer team up here. That if you're wrestling in either of these places in your identity of wrestling with shame and guilt, or you're just running yourself ragged as though you're a human doing and not a human being, and you need to receive again the delight of the Father, I'm going to give you a chance to come. But I also want to give you a chance to come that if it's falling apart and it's not good in your relationships, that you can come and receive somebody just to stand with you as a hug, to pray for healing, to seek the Father with you. Before I do that, though, I just want to ask two questions. And I want to ask in the next few minutes if we could just be really honest if there's any church mask that you put on when you came, can you just take it off and lay it aside? If it's not yet good, it's not yet over, so we need to be honest about how it is right now. See, our king delights to, to make beauty from ashes, but we've got to be honest about the ashes. My first question is this. How is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? Do you live every day in delight? knowing that you're chosen and seen and adored by God good days and bad days? Do you live understanding that the reason the Son of God appeared was so he could remove every partition that is blocking your view of what heaven says over you, that he's releasing goodwill over you, that he delights in you today and wants to fill you with delight? Where is it you need to stop and remember? The second question I want to ask is this. How is it in your relationships? Where is it right now that you lack peace in a relationship around you? Where is it right now you lack depth? I would say that one of the dangers that we have in our social media generation is we've, we've tacked this title friend onto every generic acquaintance of an acquaintance that we could possibly know through my grandma's aunt's cousin's sister's barber. And that's my friend. But that's a very different thing than identifiable people in your world that you would say, those are my people. These are the ones that see me and celebrate me and weep with me and bear my burdens and walk with me. And so I want to ask all of us this this morning. 
How are you doing? Because a lot of times, and I've heard this in ministry, I've heard people go, I don't have any of those. I just want to say this and just let it lie where it is. I've never met a single person who told me that, and that was true. I've never met a single person that was walking their entire life as a hermit and did not have a relationship that God functionally put in their life. What I have seen is a lot of relationships that aren't everything they want them to be. And so what happens is they've stopped. Their parents missed some things, and now all they see is where their parents failed. And in their mind, it's, well, I was just an orphan because I didn't have parents that did that. They have a group of friends that have done a lot of great things with them, but there's a lot of places they've missed it. And so now they just stop, and they're living their days as though they're a victim. How are you doing with the people God gave you would be my question. If you're married, how are you doing with your spouse, really? Parents, how are you doing with your kids? Kids, how are you doing with your parents? And by the way, <laughs> just want to tell you, the statistics are still one of one people were born to parents somewhere in the world. So I don't know if you have kids or not, but I know you have parents. How are you doing with them, no matter where you are in the journey? How are you doing with your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers? Are you treating them as a blessing in your life, or really are you too busy for any kind of depth with them? Maybe right now you'd be honest and say, I've got some relationships that are really broken. I've got hurt and disappointment and offense. I've got some places that either physically or more often emotionally I've walked away. I still smile to their face, but I've decided it's just far safer to bury my feelings and do what's cordial and polite. Maybe right now you've got a relationship that is in shambles. You've got a wrecked marriage. No real relationship with one of your children. Maybe you've got tons of surface friends, but nowhere in this world you actually feel like you belong. I don't know everything in your story, but I know this. In the midst of a narrative of generation after generation after generation of bad news, 2,000 years ago, Jesus appeared to restore our identity as the beloved and our intimacy on earth into family. And if it's not yet good in your story, it's not yet over. Where do you need peace to come and reign on earth in your life today? I want to ask if you'd stand with me. And as we end our time together, what I'm going to ask for is three activations. So what we're going to do in the next few minutes together is we're going to awake to peace, we're going to take peace, and we're going to make peace. We're going to awake to peace, we're going to take peace, and we're going to make peace. This is the time typically when somebody asks you to stand and you start looking for your belongings and do I have it all? If you've ever been in an altar call, I am, you know you can settle in, you're going to be here for a little while. But beyond that, this is what I want to ask. Can we not check out, but can we press in over the next few minutes? We've given the landscape of where bad news has been. We've given the banner of where good news has come to reign again, but this is where the rubber meets the road. God did not give his word just to inspire our heads or our hearts. He got it to come to our hands and our feet. And so right now, I'm going to ask if you'd close your eyes with me. And I want to ask this question. Know that your God rejoices over you right now? Do you know that at this moment, right now, with everything that's going on in your world, that your God is dancing and rejoicing and celebrating over you? Do you really know it in a way that changes your outlook, that changes your day, that lifts your burdens? I want to remind you that the Bible says that when we were Jesus' enemy, at the very worst moment, it says that was the exact second, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross for you. And I don't know your story, but I'm fairly confident that the worst, most rebellious you isn't found in church singing love songs to Jesus and willingly listening to a message about peace. But even if it is, you need to know this right now and all the bad news that tries to fill your news feed. Right now, Jesus adores you. Right now in every place of weakness, he's waiting to be strong. He lavishes you with love and grace and peace. So I'm going to ask where you are. If you just put your hand over your heart, 
And right now, in Jesus' name, I come against every voice that told you anything less than your Father delights in you. I come against any lesser gospel that has tried to get the good news through bad news, through shame and blame and guilt, and you've done this. And I tell you right now with your hand on your heart, your Father has always delighted in you. Jesus, I call for shame and blame and guilt and scarcity and busyness and the things that we're chasing so that one day we can become something we can respect. Call for it all to fall. And that we would just see ourselves as beloved kids. Would you just tell them, here I am, I'm your beloved. There's a lot I haven't figured out, but I'm your beloved. Would you show me how you love me? I'm going to ask right now what burden it is you're carrying that's keeping you just from leaping out of your seat with joy every moment. Even as we're here, would you just start to tell them, this is what's weighing me down. This is what's frustrating. This is what I'm afraid of. This is where I'm stressed out. Your own words, just whisper before him right now, this is where I'm at. And as you do, I'm just going to read these words of Jesus over you, asking that something would change in your reality. Jesus says, are you weary? carrying a heavy burden, come to me. I will refresh your life, for I am your oasis. Simply join your life to mine. Learn my ways and you'll discover I'm gentle and humble and easy to please. Come and find refreshment and rest in me. Come and see that all I have required of you is pleasant. tell him right there, God, I give you my burdens. God, I come to you. It's too heavy for me to carry. God, I'm dry. I'm thirsty. I'm busy. I'm worn out. Come and be my oasis. God, if you delight in me, I invite you right now. Somebody, somebody just needs to tell him this. God, if you delight in me, I invite you to come tell it to my heart. I want to live like it's true every day. for somebody right now it's time there's some struggle and you always have a but you don't understand but 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 and somebody you need to get your butt out of the way okay for somebody it's time to stop explaining stop repenting stop apologizing stop trying to figure it out he knows he knows you just let it go right now in this moment would you awake to peace Oh, Father, may burdens lift all around the room right now. Stress, doubt, fear. Fear of loneliness. Fear of truly being alone. May it go now in Jesus' name. I'm asking that the King of kings and the Lord of lords that has come to fill your vessel would come right now and awaken your heart to peace. The second charge I want to give is this, that we would be people that would take peace. The calling to follow Jesus is to be ministers of reconciliation, that those who see themselves as far from God would hear the Father plead through you that they can come back home. So I want to ask this question very practically. Who is it right now in your life that is hurting? Who is it that God has placed is, is one of those people in your life and they're hurting? And I want to remind you, they may not be nice, they may not be pleasant. They may not be easy to be around. This may be the person that you're like, oh, Lord, not them. They're dramatic. They're a Debbie Downer. I want to remind you that Jesus says that it's out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. So when you see this unpleasant behavior, you need to ask the question, what is their heart saying? Because the truth is they're begging for someone to slow down and see them and value them and love them and believe in them like the Father and not leave. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, who is it? Who is that in your life? And I've been asking the Holy Spirit to specifically give you a face. Maybe right now with whoever it is that's coming to mind, you're thinking, you know what? 
man, that's going to take all of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to need love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Praise God in Christ. It's all yours. As we choose to awake to peace, we have something to take. So I want to call you today. Would you just receive an anointing that in the people you're going to see today, from the people that are in your life, to the homeless person you're going to pass in traffic to say, you know what? I'm going to take peace with me everywhere I go. I'm going to be Jesus to those who are hurting. There's one last charge I want to give. And this, at this point, I want to ask our prayer intercessors, our, our prayer ministers to come up front. We're going to have people up front for you in any of these areas you need to receive prayer. But this last one, is there somewhere God's calling us to make peace? Romans 12, 18 says this. It says, as far as it depends on you, if it is possible, live at peace with all people. See, Jesus came with good news of great joy for all people because we've been called to do everything in our power to live at peace with all people. For many people hear my voice right now, there's a relationship in your life right now that is not good. There's pain and disappointment and resentment and offense, and maybe you've reasoned it would be easier to just be polite, to just be cordial, to just bury your feelings. Or maybe you've reasoned your answer is going to be to avoid them. But those who awaken to peace are called to be peacemakers. What that means is that we go into any room where there's not presently peace and we do anything in our power to forgive, to repent, to understand, to listen, to heal, to restore, and to not leave. We live right now in the midst of a cancel culture that says when you hurt or disappoint me, I'm just going to leave. I want to tell you this morning, I praise God that Jesus doesn't subscribe to cancel culture. Or I'd still be lost and wandering outside of Eden. No, listen, Jesus came and made peace where there was none. So for somebody right now, there's a friendship or a family member or an acquaintance, and it's gotten funky and distant, and that relationship is dying in silence of all that's not being said, and you need to hear from your father this morning. It is time to stop tiptoeing. It's time to stop being politically correct. It's time to stop watching and waiting, and it's time to step forward in the anointing and the authority of a peace maker. For somebody, your, your parent or a leader in your life, they miss some things and your heart is broken. But now it's become all you can see. You can't recognize any of the blessings that they brought and you're stuck. Whether you say it or not, you're walking through life as if you're not victorious, but you're a victim. And something in your heart feels like it's turning bitter. somebody, maybe you left your last church poorly, or maybe you left a line of churches before you came poorly, and it was always, well, this church didn't this, and this church didn't that, and this church, and Father, the Father is saying to you this morning, though, you are a peacemaker, and God is calling you to do your gift, to leave your gift at the altar, and to go. Jesus came that we would experience peace on earth. And the truth is, if we're going to open our souls to people, people will let us down. That's why he appeared as the only one that can ever be our peace. But as he comes to be your peace, to awaken you to peace, he wants you to keep your heart open and ready to imperfect people who sometimes will step on your heart and your feelings and not close yourself back off, but that you would walk in the depth of peace. And so here's my challenge this morning. We've got a prayer team right here. Challenge one. If you are in a place right now where God has called you to awaken to peace and you don't feel peace and joy and grace, you just feel heavy and burdened and weighed down and alone, I'm going to ask you right now to step out from your seat and to come to one of these prayer ministers and to let them just join in and pray with you that that burden would lift off of you in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you, even as I'm talking, if that's you, just to step out from your seat and to come to them. The second challenge I want to give is this. You've got somebody in your life, you've got a face that came to your mind of somebody you're supposed to take peace to. And you know right now that it's difficult. You want to, you see it, but you know you're going to need wisdom. You're going to need anointing because it feels like it's a landmine. 
and you want to know what is the revelation to actually walk it out, I'm going to ask right now if that's you. You need anointing. You need somebody to step in. You said, okay, I saw it. There's somebody I need to take peace to, but I need somebody with me on this. I'm going to ask you right now to step out from your seat and come to one of these prayer ministers. The last one is this. You're at a place in your life where relationships have fallen apart. Either there's somebody that has deeply hurt you, and right now you are just reeling, you're hurting, and you need somebody to come around you and hug you. Or you need the grace to walk through what reconciliation and forgiveness is going to look like. I'm going to ask you to step out from your seat right now. So wherever it is in these next few moments that Jesus says there's a tangible sense of peace I want to release in your life right now, if he's been speaking to you, I'm just going to ask you to step out from your seat to come right to one of these ministers, and we're just going to give a few minutes that you would take the chance right now. If Jesus is saying there's something here, and somebody right now you're thinking, well, I'm going to figure it out. I don't like going up in front of people. I'll try to talk to somebody later. I'll text a question later. You're even saying that right now. I'm going to text somebody this question later. And God said, no, you need to get out of your seat because it's through the laying on of hands that God transfers things. I don't understand it, but his word says it. So right now I'm going to ask that you would step out from your seat and allow somebody to come into agreement with you. Allow somebody to come around and join you in this place. We're just going to give a minute here. I'll say this. If you're at a place right now where, where, man, it's just wonderful, it's amazing in your life, then please take an opportunity to pray for your brothers and sisters around you right now. Please take an opportunity to pray for that person right now that needs to receive peace, that they walk like a Debbie Downer. Just take these minutes. We don't have enough moments of silence to just say, Lord, I'm just going to contest right now. So don't just wait for somebody else at the altar call. Every person in the room right now, go to the throne and ask Jesus to reign in a place of peace in our life. And in just a minute, I'm going to close this in prayer. Would you go ahead right now and just allow the Lord to speak to you? Allow him to move. Guys, if we could just get that music up just a little bit there. Jesus, would you stir and move? We're not going to be in a hurry. We're just going to take a minute and let the Lord speak. The Lord wants to restore peace somewhere in your life. Father, I ask right now that burdens would be broken. I ask right now that even generational schemes, places where people have believed as long as they can remember, this just funk, this ugh. I pray because of the kindness of who you are that right now you come and break it, that peace would be theirs. Father, I ask right now that a relationship that is falling apart and it had it not been for this moment in eternity, they would have just drifted away, that right now you would begin to repair. I see you sewing it up, putting it back together. I ask for boldness and courage. Father, right now, even as people are coming, I'm asking, Lord, that the fullness of joy, that great joy, I'm asking for an anointing of joy. So if that's you, somebody right now, you're just in a place that you're like, hey, nothing's really wrong per se, but I'm not bursting with joy. And if that's on the table, I want it. I'm asking right now, you just hold your hands out. Father, God, that you would pour out a fullness of great joy beyond their measure, beyond their ability to contain, that you would come. So revelation and peace and grace fall. Jesus, would you move? Jesus, would you move? Jesus, would you move? We're just going to stay here a minute. We're not going to be in a hurry. Lord, come and restore peace. Jesus, we agree right now that the seeds that are falling here are going to fall on fertile soil. That it's not just going to be another day that I talk to another person about a problem, but that you're actually going to give strategies, release strategies from heaven. That you're actually going to give courage. That you're actually going to change and realign steps right now. That relationships and family lives are changing because we're trusting you. Oh, Father, come. Jesus, come stir, come and move.